I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of my very first car, 1979 Monte Carlo. That's it right there. Uh, That's not actually it because... Back in the day, we didn't have cell phones to take pictures of, of all of our stuff, but that is the same looking car that I had, 79 Monte Carlo. Uh, it was Carolina blue on the inside. I mean, everything was Carolina blue. Uh, and in the front, if you remember the, the seats back in the day, they weren't leather, they weren't cloth, they were pleather. You remember that? And, uh, and so this one had those, those pleather seats in it, but the, the front row was one of those big, long bench seats. Yeah. So you know what I'd do? I'd armor all it real good. And you go on a date, and you go around the corner, and she'd slide from one side to the other. <laughs> Actually, it never happened. <laughs> I tried, but it just... Anyway, that was my, my first car. Here's my second car. 1992 Ford Probe. My, uh, my brothers still make fun of me for having that particular their car. They said it was a girl car, but that's okay. Um, that was my, my first car that I actually paid for. So this one was a little bit different. That Monte Carlo my parents gave to me, I'm like, hey, here's your first car. I was like, great. And, and then a few years later, they said, hey, you know, let's go out and help you buy a car. And so, so we did. But you know the deal. When you buy a car, you got to pay for it, don't you? And so my very first job was a newspaper route when it, when it came to paying for this car. Some of you out there, you had newspaper routes back in the day. Do you remember those? And some of you are like, I didn't know newspapers had a route. I thought I could look at it on my iPad, and that's where I got it. used to be a day where the only way you got it, it was paper. Well, I would get up every morning about 3.15 a.m. in this car because I had to pay for it. And I would get up, and I would drive to the strip mall, and I would grab my big old pile of newspapers, which Monday was great because the paper was small. Sundays were terrible because it was like two big sections you had to put together. But I would take off, and I'd start putting the papers together as I was driving to my particular route. I didn't mind that part except waking up so early to, to do that. What was hard, and again, if you've done this before, is keeping up with the subscribers. Because people don't pay their bills. Or they move and they don't tell you. And so what happens when they're not paying their bills or you're giving out free newspapers? You're losing money. Let's just say I think I lost quite a bit of money over the course of over a year that I had this newspaper route. But, but here's what's so interesting about the, the two cars. One was free. I didn't have to pay anything for that. I took care of gas, took care of the car insurance. But this one, I had to pay. And because I had to pay for it, I was stuck. Because what I had was debt. Today, we continue our series called Breathing Room. And I'm going to ask for your help a little bit because we're going to define breathing room. Breathing room is what? The space between our current pace and our limits you're just a little bit ahead of the game over here good job though all right let's read this together breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits you don't have to remember that anymore after today because we're done with the series after the day but but we've talked about how important this is for us that we need space we need margin in our lives because we know living with breathing room in our lives is so healthy and over the next or the last two weeks, we've talked about time, and we've talked about the relationships that we have and how important breathing room is there, that for many of us, we have our limits, but, but we're up against them all the time. We have no space, and we've got to find that breathing room, and hopefully you've begun to do that. In fact, I've heard over the past week that some of you have done that. You've gone home. You've put your computer away. you spent time with your family and your spouse. 
Good job. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Not just a week. Keep doing it for a lifetime and see how God blesses that. But this morning, we're going to talk about another area of life, the breathing room when it comes to our finances. Now, this is not a giving message, okay? You can catch your breath. If it was a giving message, like we talked a few weeks about, ago about generosity, you'd have some sort of suite on your seat to kind of set you up for the, that time, right? We had Skittles on all the seats. Not there. When you see those, if you come in, there's a big candy bar. That means we're going to talk about giving that day. Just want to get you set up for the next time. <laughs> Not about giving. This is about finances. Here's what I know. Your finances are probably a little tight. And one of the big reasons they're tight is because we live in a very expensive area. But sometimes our finances are tight because of the decisions that you and I make when it comes to our money. And my guess is that if you're like me, you want as much breathing room as you can between the limits of money that you have and, and your spending that takes place in your life. Because it seems like we can never, ever get ahead. But, but let's, let's go back a second. Let's, let's talk about time. Time is limited, right? You can't wake up tomorrow morning and go to the time bank and say, hey, you know what? I got a really big project this week, and uh, I'm going to need about 10 more hours. And the time bank manager is going to say, hey, can you fill out this paperwork? Let me, let me, let me check your time credit score, and, and I'll get back to you. And, oh, yeah, it looks like we can give you those extra 10 hours. This is what's going to cost you to do that. We don't have that luxury, do we? 168 hours a week, that's all we got. Money's a little bit different. Now, money is limited. You have an income if you're an individual. You have a household income if you're, you're married. And so you have a limit to your income, but what can we do? We can go out tomorrow and we can borrow more money from the bank. Or we can go to our credit cards and we can spend a little extra from our credit cards. Our, our, our money may have a limit to it, but we can always push those limits when it comes to something like money. And because of that, many people live without financial breathing room. How do we get to this place or, or what happens in our life to make us uh, be and uh, live our life without this, this financial breathing room? I, I think the problem is that we equate our standard of living with our quality of life. And so we go through life thinking, if I increase my standard of living, then that's going to increase my quality of life. But how do we get to that point? What makes us think that? Well, part of it is just who we are. We, we think we deserve more. You know, we, we watch commercials. We, we read books. We see magazines. We watch how other people live. And we think to ourselves, that's the way they're living. Their standard of living is higher. And, and it seems like their quality of life is better. You know, the conversations I have with them seems like life is just amazing. But the reality is, if we were honest with ourselves, if they were honest with us, what we would find is that their standard of living may be higher but their quality of life has degreased dramatically. That we get to this place where we push our limits so hard when it comes to our finances that we have no quality of life. That it goes back to what we talked about over the past two weeks, that, that our time, we don't have time anymore. We are working constantly. Or maybe we're working two jobs because we get to pay off the debt that we have so that we can live the standard of living that we think we deserve. And so we spend all of our time away from home and family, which, again, it affects our relationships we have with people that are close to us, that we love, that we, that we care about. See, we have to be careful with money because when it comes to money, if we're not careful, we'll try to raise our standard of living. But when we do, our quality of life 
will decrease. So we go through life buying more stuff to be like everyone else. And what we find is that we do not have a better life. It kind of goes along with what that great philosopher, notorious B.I.G., once said, Mo money, mo problems, thank you. Or for us, it's mo debt, mo problems. And that's what we find. We, we push ourselves when it comes to our financial limits in such a way that in the end, our life isn't better, our quality of life isn't better, that we have more issues and financial problems that you and I struggle with. And so we have to make a choice. And we've talked about choices all throughout this series. And, and when it comes to something like debt, we can raise our standard of living by raising our debt, or we can raise our quality of life by raising the discipline that we have in our finances. Here's the scary thing. We like debt more than discipline. Again, we, we like debt more than discipline. In 2017, NerdWallet did a survey on the United States uh, average household and the credit card debt that we carry. And here's what they found. This one is fascinating to me. It said 41% of the people who were in debt... Here's the reason they were in debt. And I quote, unnecessary purchases I cannot afford. I keep reading that and laughing. I think it's funny, but it's true. Almost 50% of the people said they purchased things that were unnecessary and they couldn't afford them. And that's the reason they're in debt. The average U.S. household revolving credit card debt is a little over $6,000 which in a room like this is probably quite a few of us in here. And I'm guessing that 50% of us have probably purchased something on a credit card that, guess what, we could not afford and really was unnecessary. But we do it anyway. And again, it comes back to this idea of we want this higher standard of living. But to get to that place, that means that our quality of life will have to go away. Are we willing to get to a place of saying, I'm going to raise... I'm going to raise my quality of life by being more disciplined. Well, why is this a big deal? Well, we're going to talk over the next few moments about how we can change that in our life and what it looks like for for you and I to, 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 to potentially lower our standard of living so that we can raise the quality of life that we're intended for. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to spend some time this morning. Uh, those little white Bibles in front of you, I think it's on page 849, help you out there a little bit. We'll put it up on the screen. You can follow along on your Journey Church app or also your program. But we find this in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells this, this particular story. <clears throat> and here's what he says. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. Uh, We have this wealthy man, as it seems like a pretty large estate, and he has a manager of this estate, and the manager's job is to take care of all the business affairs of the estate. More than likely, this guy grew up in this home. He grew up in this environment, may have been born into into this relationship with this gentleman. Um, but, But we also find he's mismanaged the estate. And so the boss comes in like, hey, you're done. You're done. I I need you to go out now, and I need you to figure out 
all of my business assets. Tell me all of my accounting. Bring that back to me. And when you're finished with that, this will be the end of your employment here. Now, we don't know if it's neglect. We, we don't know if there's something criminal going on. We just know that he is getting ready to lose his job. Look at verse 3. It says, The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He knows he's losing his livelihood. He knows he's losing his job, and he looks at himself, and he's like, my hands are pretty soft. There are no calluses here, so I don't think I can, can, can dig. I can't do manual labor. And then he, he thinks about himself a little bit, and he, he says, you know what, begging is not an option for me either. And maybe for the first time, he has a little bit of inspiration. He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll go out, and I'll make it so all these people that I've been working with for many years, they'll like me. And, and they'll like me so much that they'll help me when I lose this job. Look at verse 5. It says, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. He has an action plan. And he probably does this secretly, but he brings in each one of these people that owe his, his boss money. And here's what I find interesting about the story. What's the question he asked them? How much do you... Isn't that his job? I mean, he's supposed to... I think we have a pretty good idea very quickly of what the issue is here, right? He's asking the wrong question here. He should know this. Look at verse 8. And this is a strange, strange verse in the story. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. He praises this guy. A guy he's getting ready to fire. A guy who may have just cost him who knows how much money. He, he praises him in, in this moment, but, but why? I think partly he's protecting himself. Uh, another reason could be that if he was oppressive toward this manager or if he caused a scene, people would look at him and think he was an irreligious type person, that he didn't handle this the right way. And, and I, I think the, the other part of this is, is that all of a sudden the, the, the boss here, the master, says, you know what? You got me. Uh, you outsmarted me. And, you know, I'm going to commend you for that. Notice it doesn't say he's pleased with what this gentleman did. But it's almost like he's saying, you have outsmarted me. There's a little bit of admiration there. Look at verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think Jesus' point is, use your money. Use that space, that margin you have when it comes to your finances to make a difference in people's lives. Not, not just for now, but for all eternity. He says, look at people in the world. What do they do? They use their money. They use what they have to impact lives. Why? To build friendships. And if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, I think Jesus is telling us here, hey, here's the deal. Use what you have to impact the lives of others because sometimes the people of the world are more smart than those of us that follow Christ. Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? The idea here being we're called to be good stewards of the money we have. Look at verse 13. This is key. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I've talked to a few of you here, and you, you actually have two bosses. I mean, you have two people you've, you work for, partly because they haven't hired anybody for the other position. And you've told me how hard that is because there's one boss you, you like. Right? They, they encourage you. They're, they're supportive of you. They may give you a lot of work, but because of the relationship you have, you're going to put all your time and effort into helping them more. But then you got this other boss, but you got to do their work, but you don't really like being around them. It's tough to spend time with them. But in that moment, you're kind of choosing, aren't you? Now, you're going to do both the work for both people, but, but you're going to choose which one you're going to give more of your time. When, when Jesus says these words here in, in verse 13, it's like, look, you, you got money you got God and you can't serve both it it can't be a higher standard of living and a higher quality of life it's got to be one or the other there are options and decisions and choices that you and I have to make and so which one are we willing to be a slave to look at verse 14 the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Do you notice those first few words there? The Pharisees who loved money. You may be familiar with the prosperity gospel, and we think it's kind of something just popped up over the last century. This has been going on for thousands of years. So for the Pharisees and the religious people in those days... Your blessings from God were based on how big your bank account was. And so if you had a big bank account, which many of these Pharisees had, then God was blessing you. If your bank account was small, it meant God wasn't blessing you. And yet what does Jesus do a few times in Scripture? He tells stories or he points out people that are given all that they have or almost all that they have. And you know what he says? They their faith, who they are, God is going to bless them more than someone who has a lot and gives very little. See, sometimes we're not any different than the Pharisees. We have to sit there and choose, do we love God or or love money? The Pharisees, even though they were the religious leaders, they were saying, we love our money more than God. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 that's not right. You're supposed to love God more than money. And in fact, God knows your hearts. Again, I think for us, that question is, where are we? Are we more interested in our love of money or in God? Are we more interested in our higher standard of living or are we more interested in the quality of life that we can have? It's this battle I think we continue to face in our lives because in the end, we can't be driven by both. We have to be slave to one or the other. And as we've been talking out through all this series, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. And when it comes to our finances and breathing room, is it our standard of living or is it our quality of life? Maybe you find yourself in a place where you have very little breathing room. And so this morning I want to give us a solution to the problem that we face. 
And, and that solution is how do we create breathing room when it comes to our, our finances? And so I want to give you four ways that we can do that, that we can lower our standard of living and begin to raise our quality of life. Because when it comes to breathing room financially, it really is the space between our spending pace and our spending limits. And do we have that in our life? Here are the four things I want to share with you. I think these are next steps for us. And some of you, man, you've got your finances in order, and that's awesome. But, but most people, it seems like in America, this is something we struggle with. And so hopefully this will help in some way. The first is we got to decide to fix our finances. Decide to fix our finances. There are three types of people when it comes to working out. Uh, the first group of people know they need to work out, and they don't. All right? The second group of people know they need to work out, and they do, but they're the type that are all in. And so they say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the size I want to be, so how much weight I'm going to lose. And so here's what they do. They go to the gym three hours a day, five days a week. They're working hard. Three weeks in, where are they? At home, on the couch, eating donuts, right? But then there's a the third group of people. These are the people who know that they need to work out. And they do it, but they're disciplined. And they say, I'm mad enough, I'm angry enough that I need to fix this in my life. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that place. And so they set goals. And, and they know this is a long-term thing. They know they have to be consistent with it. And they do just that to get into the healthy place that they want to be with their physical bodies. See, when it comes to fixing our finances, we have to do the same thing. We've got to get angry enough, mad enough to say, I'm going to fix this. But then also understand, this is long term. We've got to be consistent in these steps forward. And we can't blame anybody for it either. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame the current president. You can't blame the past president. You can't blame the economy. What I find many times when it comes to our financial decisions, we are where we are with breathing room or the lack of breathing room because of ourselves. And so we have to make a decision to fix our finances. The second thing we have to do is make a breathing room goal. Think about this for a moment. What percentage of your income would you love to have that you would say, this is the kind of breathing room that I like in my finances? And then come up with a specific number. Is it 1%, 5%, 20%? And then if you have a budget, which is very, very important, um, have a budget, begin to put that in there and say, hey, right now I'm paying off debt, but, but here's the place I want to be. And maybe you begin to put a little bit of money away over time. And when you do that, you can start to move towards that goal. Again, being disciplined, thinking long term, consistent. We can get to a place where we can have that breathing room, but we have to have a goal set aside. And then third, you got to spy on your money. Some of you in here, that's what you do for a living. You spy on people, right? We know it. It's okay. Because the government spies on every one of us in this room, right? We, we know that's true too. And in fact, everybody in here spies. If you're on any kind of social media, you're probably a, a lurker, aren't you? you? You watch other people. Some of you will never put anything on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever, because you're watching everybody else. And everybody's like, are you on social media? No, not at all. But you are because you're watching people. We spy on other people. Again, let's be honest. But, um, but do we ever spy on our money? I, I find in our house when we don't spy on our money and we don't keep up with where it's going, and we do that sometimes, we, we found ourselves in that place, our money seems to run away. And we're like, where'd it go? It was here a second ago and now it's gone. 
But when we spy on our money, we can keep an eye on where we are going and what we are doing and how we're spending our funds. I think it's important for us to track our spending. And I have even a better idea is to, to do this for two months. Just track all your spending. See where your money's going. I think you'll be surprised what you find. That if that breathing room's not there, there may be some things you're like, well, I didn't know we were still paying for that gym membership that we've had for four years and we haven't been there in four years. There are things like that that are there that we can open up some of that breathing room when it comes to our finances. But spy on your money. A couple of ways to do that, mint.com, uh, Quicken, uh, QuickBooks, Excel. If you like paper, get a paper accounting pad, whatever it may be for you. But there are ways to do that. And then lastly, set up a debt retirement plan. It takes discipline. It takes time and effort to do this. Now, if you come to me like, hey, Chad, tell me how to do that. I don't know. That's not what I'm trained to do, okay? I know what works for us as a family, but I don't know what works for you. Again, something like Mint.com helps you do that. Um, Dave Ramsey has some great stuff that I think many of you have used. Crown Financial is another one that, that's great. These are, these are groups that you can learn from and, and grow from and, and get your finances in, in order. Maybe you've got somebody that you just you know does well with their finances. Spend the time with them. Talk to them. But begin to put that debt to retirement. Because when that debt is there, what we find is that we're trying to live with a higher standard of living. And we can't. We can't continue to, well, actually we can, but, but our quality of life will, will decrease dramatically. And we have to make that choice. And I think the best thing for us is to lower that standard of living so that we can have a higher quality of life. Some of you are sitting here, you're thinking, is this a sermonar? Because it doesn't really sound like a sermon. It sounds more like a seminar. Something important here, okay? If we have breathing room in our finances, it goes back to what Jesus was saying. When we have breathing room, we have the ability to impact people's lives, not just for now, but for all eternity. And yet we're stuck so many times financially. I think we're like the people Paul is talking to in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in scripture. Notice that first word there says, or third word says, for the love of money. Paul doesn't say money's bad. Jesus doesn't say money's bad. But the love of money. And sometimes for us, our love for money, our love for a higher standard of living keeps us from truly being who we are created to be and to do the things that we are allowed to do through Jesus, through God. Because I believe when we get our finances set, when we are at a place where there's breathing room, when we're not pushing the limits, when we're not going past the limits, then God can use us to impact the lives of so many people. And so this morning when we're saying, hey, jump in and be a part of Living Water, you can give to make Living Water happen. We're not saying, oh, I'd love to do that, but I've got too much debt. Or I'd love to give to that organization, but... <laughs> Man, I'm working two jobs right now, and it's not because, you know, I've got to pay something off. It's like, I just love my standard of living. I just want to keep increasing that. In the end, both of those are not the right options for us. We're called to manage our funds and our finance, to create that breathing room, to get rid of that debt. And it may take us years to do that, but that's okay. 
So then in the end, if we're a follower of Christ, we can say, yeah, I'd love to jump in and help with that. And I've got the breathing room to do that. Or, or, or yeah, you know what? Our family hasn't taken a vacation in a while. Hey, we can do that because we've, we've set aside breathing room and our finances. We have opportunities to help and impact the world. And yet we choose standard of living over quality of life. That's our choice this morning. What's more important to us? Our love of money, our love for God. Our love of money or the love for the relationships that are so important to us. Our love of money, our love of spending our time doing things that in the end aren't really going to make much of a difference. Where we can get to a place where we can begin to serve others because we've got breathing room in time. We've got breathing room in our relationships. We've got breathing room in our finances. Those are choices we make every day. My prayer as we finish this series is that you and I can find that breathing room in our lives so that we can be the people God has created us to be to impact his kingdom now and for eternity.